text for the sermon this afternoon is Joshua chapter 5, the verses 13 through 15. Let's read those verses once again. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Thus far, our text. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Joshua is standing overlooking the city of Jericho. It has been an eventful week for Joshua and for the nation of Israel. They had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. The entire nation had been circumcised. They had celebrated the Lord's Supper in the Promised Land. And that manna that they had throughout the whole exodus, it had stopped. The wilderness sojourn was over. They were here. They were in the promised land. It was a new chapter for the people of God. The exodus was over. The conquest was about to begin. Now we're not told exactly what Joshua was doing. He appears to have been alone likely considering how the battle of Jericho would proceed. A short time earlier, he had sent spies out to Jericho, and they had returned. And so Joshua was proceeding with the conquest, as we would have expected him to, and as he should have been. He was busy with the question, how would Jericho be taken? And then suddenly Joshua looks up, and there's a man, standing in front of him with a sword drawn. And this someone identifies himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. So Joshua learns that someone else has come to the fight. Now as we look at this scene, this mysterious commander of the army of the Lord, and Joshua, as we see them facing each other, with the Jordan in the wilderness behind them, and Jericho and Canaan in front of them, as we see this scene, we see the gospel. We see God's people being told something about how the conquest will be carried out, and about how the promises of God will be realized. Joshua and the church of all ages and places are being told that someone else has come to the fight. Hear then the good news as we find it in Joshua 5, the verses 13 through 15, under the following theme. The commander has now come. And we're going to see three things. We're going to see that he is with us, that he is for us, and finally, that we are for him. So the commander has now come. And in the first place, we'll see that he is with us. Now, the question that really dominates our text and our imaginations is, who is this commander? 
He is shrouded in mystery. He appears out of nowhere. He brings Joshua to his knees in worship on the eve of the conquest. The scene contains reminders of of Jacob wrestling with that man at Peniel and Moses at the burning bush. Who is this man? The figure of that commander looms over our text. He dominates it. He captures our attention. He captivates us. Joshua walks up to him and he asks, Are you for us or for our enemies? It's a sort of, if you're not for us, you're against us type question. Now the commander's answer tells Joshua that he defies Joshua's categories. The commander says, neither. He says, but rather, as the commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. He reveals his identity. So Joshua is being told that there is another army here, and there is another commander. And the leader of that army, that commander, has announced his presence. Now the precise identity of the commander has been debated. Our text clearly identifies the commander of the army of the Lord with a figure that we find throughout the Old Testament called the angel of the Lord or the angel of God. We meet this angel at various times and in various places in Scripture. Our text immediately reminds us of Moses at the burning bush. But we can also think of the angel of God that led the Israelites through the desert during the Exodus. Now the Jews view this figure as some type of grand vizier or as a chief angel sent from the Lord. Within Christian circles, some see him as a special envoy sent from the Lord who speaks for the Lord. However, as we look at the angel of the Lord in Scripture and as we look at our text, we must say that he is something more. He acts and speaks as the Lord himself. Now the division That chapter 6 obscures this a little. But the words in 6 verse 2 are the words of the commander. And there the commander is plainly identified as the Lord, as Yahweh, when he speaks. It says there, verse 2, Then the Lord said. Now worship of creatures is forbidden. And in other places in Scripture, we see angels holding back humans who try to worship them. But in verse 15 of our text, the angel, the commander, demands worship. In fact, he corrects Joshua's worship. Joshua's already kneeling. He's already on his knees, face down. But then the commander says, you've got to do more. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. It's the same command that Moses got at the burning bush. So this angel of the Lord, this commander, is the Lord himself. He is God, but yet distinct from God. He is the one sent from God. Who is God? is the one that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4. The rock that accompanied 
the Israelites during the Exodus. And as Paul then says, and that rock was Christ. So the commander that stands before Joshua is none other than the second person of the Trinity. Before he took on our flesh, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God, is appearing to his people. Joshua, like Moses, is in the presence of the Lord himself. Now this entire encounter echoes Moses' encounter with the angel of the Lord in Exodus 3. At the beginning of the Exodus, the Lord had instructed his servant Moses at the burning bush. Now, at the beginning of the conquest, he will instruct Joshua. The gospel message to Joshua at this moment is that Yahweh, the Lord, is present with him. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Moses is speaking to Joshua just before Moses' own death. And and Moses says, The Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And the Lord himself had repeated this promise to Joshua. In Joshua 1, verse 5, he says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And each time Joshua is told this, he is also told to be strong and courageous. So this is the message of encouragement that Joshua is receiving. The Lord is here. The Lord has shown that he can speak to Joshua without appearing to him. But now, at this critical time, he appears as the commander. He does it at the beginning of the conquest, at the beginning of this new chapter for God's people. And there's something here in this appearing that echoes, that amplifies the sacraments that Israel had just experienced at at Gilgal, the circumcision and the celebration of the Passover. Those were two two sacraments that that pointed to Christ. Two sacraments that, that said, you belong to me. You are my people. You are part of the people of God. And then the Lord, or the the Passover, that feast that, that spoke to the deliverance that God had done in the Exodus. So here, standing before Joshua is the reality to which these signs pointed. So the Lord is granting Joshua an added assurance of his presence at this point in time. And how appropriate. We can, we can think here, Of what happens when a child cries at night. To the boys and girls here, when you you cry at night, what is the most effective thing that can be done? Your parent can come to you. And they can come to you and they can help you deal with the nightmares or the darkness. And what do they say? They say, I'm here. I'm here. That simple piece of knowledge is enough to calm the fears. The parent's presence is the message of comfort. And that's the message of our text. God is here. That is a message that comes to everyone here. God is with you. God has always been with his people. That is 
the good news that the church has always had. Emmanuel, God with us. In the midst of this sin-broken, sin-filled world, even though we are sinful, broken creatures, God is present with us. Whatever our struggles, whatever our fears, we too can lift our eyes up and see that God is with us. He is our loving Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Redeemer and our King. And the Holy Spirit lives in us. Our triune God is abundantly present. He speaks to us in His Word. He speaks to us in the proclamation of the Word. He speaks to us as we see the sacraments, as we see a baptism, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. That is the abiding message. That is the Gospel. God is with us. But as we look closer at the commander, as we look at why he is there, another question comes to us. And it's not so much his presence as it is why he is here and the way in which he is here. When when we compare what the Lord did with Moses at the burning bush, we can see this more clearly. In Exodus 3, when the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he was showing that he was closely connected with the situation of his people. Exodus 3, verse 7, says that he has heard the cries of his people and that he was concerned about their suffering. Now in Scripture, the bramble bush or the shrub is used to to represent lowliness or, or humble stature. And Israel was like that. They were like a bramble bush in the desert. But God chooses to appear in that bramble bush as a fire. A fire among them that will not consume them. So by the very way that the Lord appears to Moses, reveals something about himself. He links himself to the situation of his people. It's not just that he's present with them. It's that he is intimately present with them in their situation. The Lord is appearing to Joshua at the beginning of a new stage in the history of redemption. Israel now is not an oppressed shrub. It is now a freed people in the promised land of Canaan. And so Joshua does not see the Lord as a fire in a, in a bush. Now he sees him as a warrior who fights alongside him and for him. With Moses, the message was deliverance from the Egyptians. With Joshua, the message is, as we'll hear in the words of the commander in, the verses, or in chapter 6, the verses 2 through 5, the message is that the land will be delivered into the hands of the Israelites. And so God appears as the commander. Now, in our text, Joshua has been faithfully carrying out the burden of the conquest. He's been conducting himself as as a responsible commander. 
He sent the spies, as most attacking armies would do. The spies check out the defenses and the strengths and weaknesses of a city, especially its water supply, vital during a siege. Jericho had strong walls. A long siege would be in, in order. So at this very moment, he's, he's standing overlooking the walls of Jericho. So he was conducting himself as if this was his fight. But it wasn't his fight. As one person has put it, Joshua is about to learn the miracle of the conquest. He knew the miracle of the Exodus. But he was about to see the miracle of the conquest. The Lord, who is the warrior that will bring deliverance for his people, he has now come. So the commander of the armies of the Lord, the Lord himself, stands before Joshua, sword in hand, ready to fight. And he says to Joshua, I have now come. He will fight for Israel. With sword in hand, the Lord is in command of the conquest. And throughout the book of Joshua, we see this again and again. The Lord is the one who fights for Israel. Right after our text, it is he who brings down the walls of Jericho. In 8 verse 18, it's the Lord who during the battle gives the command. During the second attack on Ai. In 10 verse 10, it's the Lord who throws the Canaanite armies into confusion at Gibeah. Again and again, the Lord is seen commanding and fighting for Israel. In Joshua's farewell speech at the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua 21 verse 3. Joshua says, you yourselves have seen everything. The Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. So the Lord is not just present with his people. He is present for his people. To lead them and fight for them. And as we look at our Lord Jesus Christ, we see this. We don't just see the incarnation and the manger. God's presence with us. No, we also see his suffering and his death and his resurrection. We see the cross. And in the cross, we see God's presence with us and for us. He takes our burdens and he makes them our own. Someone else has come to the fight. He fights our battle for us. He fights our battles for us. Christ crucified. Those two words say God with us and God for us. So hold on to that knowledge. Hold on to the fact that God has come. That he has taken on our fight. He has made it his own. That he is with us and for us. And don't just look at it as thinking that God is in control, as some sort of mental tool, some way of making yourself feel better. No, recognize the fact that He is in control. We often give lip service to the presence and leadership of the Lord. We say, yes, God is in control. He is is with us. But, But do we trust that reality? When times are tough, mentally, physically, emotionally... Even spiritually, what do we do? 
Do we truly trust that God is with us and for us? Do we fully trust that Christ has conquered sin and Satan? That he has brought to us deliverance and salvation? Do we recognize that he is now ruling? That he is king? That nothing is outside of his control? Do we recognize that his spirit is with us? Do we recognize that when God is for us, nothing can stand against us? The commander's presence on the battlefield means victory for Israel. Christ's work of his death and, and resurrection means that the battle is won for us today. Someone else came to the fight. Christ came and made our fight his own, and he has won that fight. The heavenly conquest of earth, the, the kingdom coming in its fullness, is assured. The effects of sin that still plague us are doomed. Christ will completely and assuredly win the battle. He will come at the end of time and that battle will be completely over. And that day is guaranteed. As Romans 8 verses 31 to 39 also say, we will be more than conquerors for Christ is with us and for us. What, what power can separate us from the love of Christ? And what power can stand up against us when God himself is for us? The gospel to Joshua and to Israel was that the Lord would take Jericho. The gospel to us today is that whatever situation you are in, God is with you in that situation. And he takes your burdens on himself and he fights those battles for you. Rest in him. Trust in him. Believe, trust, and confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is your commander who goes with you and for you. Now, up to now, we have been looking exclusively at the commander. And Joshua has somewhat receded from view. But now we need to bring Joshua back into the picture. And look at our text again with Joshua in view. Now, throughout our text, we see Joshua progressively moving toward an understanding of who the commander really is. Moving towards an understanding that he is for the commander. It brings us to our final point. So Joshua begins by asking, are you for us or for our, for our enemies? Now in his response, the commander makes it clear that this is the wrong question. It's really a question of whether or not Joshua is for him. Now Joshua realizes this when the commander identifies himself. And what he does is he bows down in worshipful, worshipful reverence. But not in a full realization 
of who the commander is. In the original Hebrew, and you'll notice it from a footnote in your Bibles, Joshua uses a lowercase l for Lord. In verse 14 he says, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And he's being respectful. He's recognizing that a great Lord is in front of him. But he does not realize the full extent of who is in front of him. So Joshua will get that message that he requested. It'll it'll come in chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. But before Joshua can hear that message, something else needs to happen. Joshua needs to realize that he is for the commander. That he totally and completely belongs to the commander. And that he must be for the commander in proper worship. And Joshua's commanded there to remove his sandals, to take off his sandals. Now that is a custom that was there in ancient times. It was an act of humility and reverence. So Joshua is being told to recognize the glory and the holiness of the Lord and to acknowledge his own lowly position. And there is an urgency in the command. The word that is actually used in our text is is not the normal word for untying sandals. That's how sandals were, were put on. They were strapped on. They were tied on. They had to be untied. But Joshua is told to pull them off. He literally rips the sandals off his feet. That's what the Lord tells him to do. The ground upon which he is standing is holy. He cannot stand there for another moment as he is. And then we read that Joshua did so. He recognized who he stood before and he responded by saying, I am completely for you. It was an act of obedient allegiance and an act of complete worship. Joshua sees who the commander is and he responds in the proper way. And this is the proper way of understanding our relationship with God. We are for Him, first and foremost. Yes, He is with us, He is for us, but we are for Him. So often we domesticate God. He is not, as C.S. Lewis put it, a tame lion. He is not a God who we can have with us on our terms. Not like some sort of good luck charm. Or a ticket to health and wellness. His presence with us and for us has implications and requirements. That sword has an edge for Israel and for us as well. There is a call to recognize the Lord as who He is and to recognize and to bow before His holiness. To recognize that we are for Him. That we belong to Him, that He has a claim on us, and that we are called to worship. Now the Jews of Jesus' day, they failed in their encounter with the incarnate Son of God. They too came up to Jesus as Joshua came up to the commander, and they said, Who are you? And they heard the answer, but they would not accept it. 
They would not say, we are for you. We belong to you, we serve you, and we worship you. They did not see that they needed him. That they needed him to be with them and for them. Where Joshua knelt rightly, they stumbled and fell. They were not able, because of that response, to participate in the battle that Emmanuel, God with them, was fighting for them. Now Joshua's obedience here points to Christ's obedience before our Father. Joshua's doing so, his proper response to the grace and presence of the Lord, foreshadows and points to Christ's obedience. The obedience that Christ rendered on our behalf. Our salvation is completely wrapped up in Christ. He is with us and for us as God. But at the same time, He is our faithful and proper response to God. He is our mediator. And as we look at our text, we see that. We see the need for a perfect mediator. One who responds to God for us. Christ's righteousness, His proper response to God, becomes ours when we are connected to Him. You could say He is the promise and He is the demand fulfilled. Christ has been made our righteousness. He he paved the way for us to be the people of God. And he paved the way so that we might be able to kneel in obedience before the holiness of God. Christ is now in heaven. He is there at the right hand of his Father. And he has given us a sure pledge. He is there as a sure pledge And guarantee that he will take us up to be with him. We belong to him. And he will take us in to the promised land. To the new heaven and into the new earth. And what he does is he sends down to us a counter pledge. He sends to us his Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit who grips our heart. Who directs us to look to God. Who moves us to obediently kneel in right worship before our abundantly present God. So dwell on that. Dwell on your complete Savior. The one who is with you. The one who is for you. And the one who brings you to God. Who makes you for Him. The conquest of Canaan, that points to the coming of the kingdom. With Christ as commander, heaven invades earth. The future comes into the present in a glorious conquest that will never fail or fall short. His kingdom will come. His presence with us and for us assures us of the victory. So we kneel before him and we pray for the kingdom to come. The knowledge that His is the kingdom, the power, 
and the glory. Amen. Let us now respond to the proclamation of the word by singing hymn 35. And we'll sing the verses 1 and 4. And if you're able, please rise. <laughs>